Hello and welcome to The Legends of Loam. I am your Game Master and host, Jonathan Banner. This is the first bonus episode that we are putting out, A Brief History of Loam. The transcript of this history can be found at thelegendsofloam.com. And so, without any further ado, let us begin. This history has been compiled by the head librarian at the Wizards College in Hightower, with the help and records of the Temple of Scientia. The beginning. In the beginning, well, we aren't sure. None of us were there, but what we do know is that Sol Tempurus, the god of time, and Kator, the god of space, were the first deities. They never spoke of what was before, any time they spoke, it was to argue over who owned what. It was from this confrontation that Luris, the goddess of justice, was born. The way that Luris tells it, her first memory is yelling at them to shut up. Through Luris, they worked over their problems. Mostly. Anything that a cater would create, Sol Tempurus would wear down in age. So, a cater created Natura, the goddess of nature, to create a cycle so even if something died, something new would be reborn. Sol Temperus was furious at this. So he created Fortum, the god of luck, out of pure spite. However, it wasn't too long before even Sol Temperus was displeased with Fortum, for even though Sol Temperus was his father, Fortum only looked out for himself. Fortum messed up Sol Temperus and Ecator's plans, mainly by bringing two new godlings into the pantheon, Delectio, the goddess of love, and next, the deity of death. These two creatures would intertwine the lives of various creatures, messing with the natural lives of them, binding some together, and ending some early. This was too much for Natura to handle, so she sliced off pieces of her domain and created her children. Res Rustica, the god of agriculture. Silvestris, the goddess of the wilderness. Tempestus, the goddess of storms. Acor, the god of the sea. Bestia, the god of animals and Nainum, the goddess of decay. After the sacrifice, Natura retreated from almost all of the pantheon, only responding to her children, and oddly enough, to Fortum, the god of luck. A few centuries later, four new godlings showed up claiming to be the children of Fortum and Natura, but none of Natura's children knew of these four, and Fortum could never be pinned down to get a solid answer. These four, Percantitio, the god of magic, Artis, the goddess of craft, Milia, the god of family, and Tenebris, the goddess of darkness. They were no doubt the children of deities, but their apparent parentage seemed unlikely. Percantitio, the god of magic, was overwhelmed by the immensity of his domain, so he split himself apart, essentially killing himself, to create the eight schools of magic. And out of him came a deity to look over each school. Reverbero, the god of abjuration, Voco, the god of conjuration, Herioleto, the goddess of divination, Fascinar, the goddess of enchantment, Partum, the god of evocation, Alucinate, the deity of illusion, Dicio Vita, the goddess of necromancy, and Imuto, the deity of transmutation. Artis, goddess of craft, created two offspring. From her own form, she made Polkrotudo, the deity of art, and Scientia, the god of skill. Out of all of the godlings, these two seem to have the best relationship, truly seeing each other as equals. 
Milia, the god of family, stepped up to watch over the entire pantheon, but decided to not create any children of his own. Tenebris, goddess of darkness, stayed away from the rest of the pantheon. Milia, the god of families, would seek him out to check in, as would Dikio Viaita, the goddess of necromancy, the daughter of Percantatio, the god of magic. Supposedly, Tenebris was often found in the presence of Nex, the deity of death. Years, decades, centuries, millennium, some amount of time, as we mortals understand it, passed. And at some point, Arceus, the goddess of craft, created the gnomes. He started with just a few, as helpers in his workshop, but soon they started to create more of themselves. They were more like golems with a divine spark than the fully living animals that Bestia, the god of animals, was creating. But since Artis had more than he needed, he started loaning them out to other deities. Bestia was more than willing to let them take over attending to his creations. The children of Percantatio were more than ready to take on apprentices to teach these gnomes the different schools of magic. Scientia, the god of skill, took the same approach and started teaching them lessons. Pultratudo, the deity of art, liked these little gnomes, but thought they could be improved upon. And the elves were born. Taller than the gnomes and more graceful, they excelled at magic were not as skilled builders. It was at this time that Akator, the god of space, and Soltemperus, the god of time, finally agreed on something. The celestial palace was too crowded, so they forced the walls outwards, and instead of a single vast building, a world was created, the celestial plane. The palace was the only building in this world, well, the only two buildings in the world. On each side of the plane stood a celestial palace, one for Ekator and one for Soltemperus, both connected to each other in some way, but as far apart as possible, meaning you could step into one and step out the other. Each deity stepped into this world and started shaping a city to their own personal desires. Resrestica, the god of agriculture, created humans to work the land. They thrived in this new plane, and it quickly became apparent that with this new plane for the deities to rule over, came new rules. These races that the gods created became mortal after leaving the celestial palace. This new land, and more space to grow, gave birth to new deities. Milia, the god of family, and Tenebris, the goddess of darkness, gave birth to Timor, the god of fear, much to Milia's chagrin. Milia quickly grew worried about this wayward child and created Precorus, the goddess of protection, as a response. Next, the deity of death, and Dikio Viaita, the goddess of necromancy, created Immortuus to rule over the creatures that refused to enter into Nex's domain. Tenebris, goddess of darkness, created a new form of life, angels. Averitia, the angel of greed. Invidia, the angel of envy. Gola, the Angel of Gluttony, Superbia, Angel of Pride, Ira, Angel of Wrath, Desidia, the Angel of Sloth, and Tintigo, the Angel of Lust. They were not godlings, but they were not mortals. Some mortals decided to follow them, but these seven angels followed and answered to Tenebris. Timur, the god of fear, was alone. His parents had moved on to newer children. Tenebris's angel, Ira, the Angel of Wrath, goaded and provoked Timur until he couldn't take it anymore, and his anger forced its way free of him, creating Bellum, the god of war. Before Timur could even recover and try to contain his child, Bellum created two angels to follow him, Regnum, the Angel of Tyranny, and Cadus, the Angel of Slaughter. 
It didn't take long before Bellum created his own race to follow him. The Dwarves, mighty warriors and able to work metal into war machines. Soul Temperus and Decatur saw that in giving their descendants an inch, they had taken a mile. So they created three planes for the mortals, and the plane of death. The elves were sent into the elemental wilderness, a realm of four constant seasons. Ikater created angels of his own to watch over the place. Ignis, the angel of fire. Terra, the angel of earth. Aqua, the angel of water. And Urus, the angel of wind. The dwarves were sent into the shaded realm, a harsh realm with burning stones raining down from the sky. Soul Tempest created angels to watch over this plane. Harry, angel of the past. Nunca, angel of the present. Cress, angel of the future and Eret, angel of what never was. Next, the deity of death volunteered to watch over the plane of the dead. The human and gnomes were sent to share a plane. Out of all of the races, these two got along the best. They were sent to Loam, a world based on the celestial plane, a lush green world with large oceans. To watch over Loam, Sol Tempris and Ikator tried to create a moon, and a deity of that moon. But they created the Lunar Brothers, Lunaris and Lunatus, and two moons appeared in the sky over Lone. And that is how it stayed for a seemingly endless amount of time. The races forgot each other, even the humans and gnomes moved away and forgot they shared the plane with others. You may think the deities would have reminded their creations, but there was enough turmoil in the skies to keep them occupied. The dwarves were the first to break free from their plane. They dug deep into the earth and into a ley line of magic one that courses through all planes. They foolishly dug into it, hoping to use its seemingly endless power. With this power, they were able to create portals to other planes. The first portals were stable, and they raided Loam, taking back humans and gnomes and setting them free to be hunted like wild animals. Other portals were too unstable, and left the dwarves unable to get back. When they entered the elemental wilderness, the elves quickly captured them and grilled them for all the useful information on these portals. The elves were able to use the primal magic of the elemental wilderness to open up a one-way portal into the Shaded Realm. They escorted the dwarves back, but because of how damaged the ley lines were, they were not able to travel home. The dwarves gained great power from mining the ley lines, but at the cost of the magic of their world. Only the most powerful wizards can cast the simplest of spells in the Shaded Realm. And that's how it stayed. On Loam, eventually humans and gnomes discovered each other, as they were on neighboring continents. Dwarves lived on Loam too, but separated by vast oceans. The elves lived on in peace in the elemental wilderness. Other races grew around them, as the magic there seemed to increase after having dealt with the intruders. In the Shaded Realms, dwarves were no longer the only intelligent race. The elves who had escorted their intruders back made camp in a deep forest and thrived. Gnomes made for caves too small for the dwarves and made their way underground. The humans used their wit to spread far across the surface of their realm. But with the destruction of the ley lines, magic was growing wild. Humans seemed the most affected as they spread out, but adapted to the waves of wild magical energy that surged across the realm. And that's how it was for an unknown amount of time until the moon fell out of the sky. It's hard to keep track of time without a starting point. Most of the races on Loam use the reigns of kings to keep track of time. 
But if each race has their own king, then it's not a good way of knowing when different events happened. So when the shattering happened, while a global catastrophe, it did lead to better record keeping. So that is where most of our historical records start. Post-shattering. Or PS, as it came to be known. The shattering is the oldest known event that isn't exaggerated with myths or legends. And while we aren't completely sure what happened, I will tell you what we do know. It was something to do with the gods, but that's about all we know. The priests of the Lunar Brothers went insane, and the moon deities were not heard from again. Most of the chunks of the moon seemed to burn as they fell from the heavens, but an especially large chunk hit the human continent of Alon and created Lunaris's lake. It is said that a war of the gods was held on the surface of the moon, causing its destruction. This destruction killed Lunaris and made Lunatus insane. But these are just the ravings of the mad priests of the Lunar Brothers. It wasn't until the world had settled back to normal that the priests of Nanum, goddess of poison, noticed her absence. It is unclear what happened to her. Perhaps she was the cause of the deity's fight. And even though a few still worshipped her, she was never heard from again. In the year 921 PS, a human seafaring vessel crashed on the rocks of the dwarven continent of Tabel. Fortunately, they crashed onto the southernmost point of Tabel, which is the only beach of the continent. This was the first contact these dwarves had had since coming here from the Shaded Realm, if the story of the Shaded Realm is anything more than a myth. Trade relations were made, and these civilizations soon had a good commerce going. In 1198 PS, portals from the elemental wilderness started appearing all over Alon. Elves started pouring through in droves. It seemed a strange magical plague was sweeping across the elemental wilderness, and those elves that were not yet infected left as quickly as they could through the portals that they had been protecting for millennia. The humans did not know what to make of these strange, long-lived creatures, and soon the elves set off to find a place of their own. They found the continent to the southeast of Alon, and named it Nohagar, which loosely translates to not home. The elves keep most of their records and internal workings a mystery. After the last of the elves made their way here from the elemental wilderness, those portals were destroyed and access was completely cut off to the elven home plane. The Human Gnome War, or the Ten Year War, started in 1407 PS, and ended, ten years later, in 1417 PS. At the time, it was seen as the gnomes were tired of being treated unfairly, not getting paid full wages, while still being charged full price for half-sized housing. But in the years that followed, it was discovered that the war was a cover for a coup against the human king, Caden Alon, but it was not successful. After this civil war, a large number of gnomes and halflings left. They settled the continent to the southwest and called it the Civil States. Around the year 1500 PS, a continent is discovered to the far west. Explorers figured that if the Dwarven continent was discovered by going west, perhaps another continent could be discovered that way. And they were right. The western continent was a harsh environment, mostly mountains and deserts, only with a few small oases where creatures called orcs, minotaurs, and luxodons seemed to thrive. In 1508, a large trading expedition set out and landed near one of these settlements. They were taken hostage and forced by the native orcs to teach them how to sell the ships. These orcs would sail west and eventually reach the human continent, where they crashed the ships, started making settlements, and pillaged and raided any human towns they came across. 
1650, after much demand from his people, King Tremaine Alon declared war on the orcs, and the army drove the orcs back over the mountains and back to the western beaches of Alon. According to the time, it was successful, but small bands of orcs still roamed the countryside for years after. In 1818 PS, the Grand Magical Storm washed over the entire world. The gnomes and elves recorded it first, and their southernmost towns indicated that it started somewhere to the far south. The storm was unlike anything anyone had ever seen, including anything the elves had seen in the elemental wilderness. Magic items of all kind went haywired and ceased functioning, spells wouldn't work as intended, and magical creatures acted erratically. These waves of wild magic lasted for three days before subsiding. A number of expeditions were mounted to go see what caused this phenomenon, but none would return. Once magic and the world returned to normal, a few oddities were noticed. The most noticeable one was the calmness of Tempestus Pass. This stretch of water between Elan and the civil states is called so because the storms that plague this area are massive, but lightning only strikes the islands located in Tempestus Pass. These storms and lightning strikes calmed after the Grand Magical Storm. They returned exactly 100 years later. The other noticeable difference was with Immortuus, the deity of the undead. According to their priests, they were not the same. A few priests claimed that when they prayed, a different deity entirely was answering them. This would lead to a large majority of Immortuus's followers switching to follow Dicio Viaita, the goddess of necromancy. 2116 marks the start of the Orc War. A large Orc army is seen coming out of the open flatlands, led by a half-Orc, Ekin Skullchopper. Her human side allowed her to strategize and lead the army to conquer a few human strongholds in the mountains. King Desford Alon sent his armies, but only after making alliances with the gnomes and elves was he able to match the Orc army's might. It ended only when one of the High Elf generals, Trishana Bafdarm, convinced Ekin and Desford to negotiate. The orcs were finally recognized as an equal race and were given the open flatlands to live in as long as they lived in peace. It takes almost 400 years till our next great event in 2507 PS when a small island is discovered to the west of the civil states. This island is inhabited by the descendants of a human merchant ship washed ashore here 700 years ago during the Grand Magical Storm. The streams and caves of this island radiate an elemental power. Either by this magic or by the storm that brought them there, these people were no longer just human, but genasi, an old word meaning elementally gifted. It is eventually discovered the caves and waterways of this island are a natural portal to the elemental wilderness. Soon after, a party of elves, sent by the elven council, is sent into the elemental wilderness to see what happened to those that got left behind. These elves went through and find not the ruins of their past, but a thriving civilization of survivors of the magical plague. These elemental elves have taken on a new name, the Eladrin. Eventually, this leads to a trade being opened, and they are able to open permanent portals in better locations. Starting in the 2700s, the Eladrin started setting up portals through the elemental wilderness for trade. Because of the magical geography of the plains, you can travel the same distance in the elemental wilderness in one quarter of the time. Eventually, the Eladrin opened a portal in each of the major cities of Loam. And that brings us to present day. We are in the year 2996 post-shattering. 
and our heroes are about to stumble their way to greatness. Footnote. It is worth saying, there are mentions of another deity, Umbra, the deity of shadows and lies. The name appears in a few myths and legends, but there is only one story that I believe. It happened around 1000 PS, so only 2000 years ago. It is the story of a group of dwarves that went deep into the earth looking for the last remnants of a mithril vein. Only one of these dwarfs returned, clutching a large chunk of stone laced with mithril on one side and covered in quartz on the other. If his story is to be believed, his group came across a large mithril-laced geode, and when they broke it open to get the mithril, something came out. Umbra. He disappeared a short while after, and all we have are the quartz records, which is where this information came from. I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode and this history of Loam. This history has gone through a few revisions, mainly just to make a few things make sense, and to retcon in a few player choices that happened down the line. But the Pantheon has been the same since the beginning of our recordings. Just a reminder of our schedule, these bonus episodes happen every other week, and on the weeks when we're not doing a bonus episode, we're doing a main episode. Just like bonus actions, bonus episodes may or may not happen every week, but the main podcast will happen every other week, at least as long as I have recordings and I have two years worth of recordings to get through. So, if you would like to see a transcript of this episode, it is available on our website, The Legends of Loam. Uh, we are pretty much The Legends of Loam on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find links to all of those at the website, or you can email us at thelegendsofloam at gmail.com. And hey, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.